Okay, guys, I'm going to read for us from John 15, 1 to 7. So, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like branches and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you want it back? <laughs> All right, final session. This is it for Weekend Away 2021 that we've been building towards, that we've been promising would be the most revitalizing and refreshing weekend that we've had yet. And as we get there, just before I mention a couple of things about that, last two thank yous. Three, sorry. Four with a sub thank you. No. <laughs> I want to thank Mel who um, has served the church and myself over this last week as we've prepared for things, but also served the Women of City Light so beautifully yesterday in the session then as well, which was amazing. Um, and again, to thank just the, the musos and the MCs and everyone who's put time in, but also to thank you guys. Harper asked me, so Harper yesterday said, um, is this where we're living now? Or no, she, no, no. She said, it's a, shame, it's a shame that we can't live here now. And I love how impulsive kids are. They're just like, this, seem, this seems like a good time. Why don't we just do this all the time? And she said to me, what's your favorite thing about the weekend away? And I was able to say, I was like, it's just being with the church of God. It's being with all of you guys. So like Cam was thanking you for actually being here, it is such a blessing to be able to be away with one another. And the beautiful thing about it is the location is amazing, but the people are what makes the church of God. And, um, and to see God's grace at work in you all and to be away and to share God's word with one another is, is the beautiful thing. So thanks for that and for being here. And thank you to Cam for serving us not just in emceeing, but as a fellow elder. Why can't I see? Where is Cam? Yeah, right over to the side. And just for the time and effort that he puts into things and his humility in serving the church. I just want to honor him in that. But the two, two things I want to give, uh, just a little bit of a gift to say thanks on behalf of the church. And the first one is for City Kids. Mum has put together all the resources with that. So can we just thank Mum for the time that she's put in to City Kids? And then the very last one, which I guess is obvious, in, oh look, it would have been midway through last year, Jacob and Sarah had the vision. Originally, they had sort of pitched that um, in October we'd do the weekend away because COVID was going to wrap up by then. Anyway, <laughs> it sort of bumped forward a little bit, but I had the vision to do the weekend away. I was like, let's just go to Tukley. That's Tukley's fine. He's like, no, we're, we're, we're going to shoot for the moon. So we're going all the way to Lake Mac, had the vision for it, and drove it all the way through bumpy December with the new outbreak and whatever. And here we are. And he's put in so, 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 so much work. And his heart was to serve the church. 
And I know that he and Sarah even last year were praying about they just wanted to do something for the church in a year where we were so disparate and apart so that we could actually be together and enjoy that grace from God. And it requires so much work to have done it, but here we are and we're able to enjoy it. So I just want to thank Jacob. If you want to just come up and grab this. I don't know, I missed that, whatever that was. That's great. Um, last couple of things. I don't know how you found it just sitting down to spend an hour with God in His Word. But I just want to thank you, Anna, for putting that together. It was so good to be able to do that in God's creation, looking out over the vastness of a lake. And just as another thing of grace, God provided this curtain of rain so that we couldn't see the power station. <laughs> The ominous, threatening power station across the way. As if he was to say, it's a blight on the vista and I'm going to wipe it out just for a morning. It's gone. It shouldn't be there. So that was beautiful. But I don't know how you felt even sitting down with it. I, like, and it's, it's funny, it's, it's hard to slow down and to sit with God and just meet with him and pray, isn't it? Even I was... I was up to step three, and I looked at my watch, and I was four minutes in. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going way too quick here. And you feel it. You feel this sense of, like, I need to rush through it. And it reminds me of this. I remember seeing a guy parked his car once, turned it off, and got out, and the engine was still whirring. And everyone was kind of saying to him, hey, your car's still on, mate. And he's like, no, 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 it's just cooling off. So what, I don't know what type of car it is, but it's one where you switch it off, takes a while to wind down. I feel like that's what we're like. We're moving so quickly that even once you switch us off and we stop to be quiet and to meet with God, everything's still spinning for the first few minutes, isn't it? And you have to almost push through that till you get to the point where you are actually just sitting and contemplating God's Word, where you've actually pushed back distractions so that you can hear from God. And so it's even, even just being able to do that is a profound thing. And even yesterday, look, we, we cleared out the schedule for the weekend a bit to spread it out so it would be a revitalizing weekend. But yesterday, we just had, we just had a, really a day, a Sabbath day, a, a rest day where there was nothing on and where you could just sort of just go with the flow a little bit. And that's, I, I, that's not the same as in Sydney. You wouldn't really do it the same way necessarily. But to actually clear that space out is incredibly refreshing, isn't it? So I just want you, as we, as we head back to Sydney, to keep these lessons in mind that God is, is teaching us as we meet with Him in His Word. But today, we are, we are finishing this last session about mission. We're starting to look towards what's ahead for the year. And given that our last Sunday together was on how to speak the Word of God, I thought it would be fitting that for our final session here, as we think about reaching the lost, as we think about heading out there as a church, that it would be on prayer, that it would be on us being a prayerful people. Because how you pray and what you pray, even when you pray or how frequently you pray, says a lot about your theology, doesn't it? I remember back to when I was a rogue teenager, and I remember one particular occasion where I cried out to God. And I wasn't a believer in God, but there was one night in particular where my friends and I had, had gone out had got on the drink and various other things, and things had got a little bit out of control, and by the end of the night, I was feeling sick as a dog. And I remember at one point doing, and I've heard it termed elsewhere, the porcelain pony prayer. That is, when you feel like you're so sick that you're going to throw up, that you throw up a Hail Mary to some deity or God in the hope that they hear you and make you feel well. 
And I remember praying to God, God, please, please, please just don't let me be sick. And I remember pacing up and down the hall, praying that over and over again. And he didn't. And then I fell asleep. And I didn't think about it again until years later when I was a Christian. Now, what did that prayer reveal about my heart at that time towards God? It revealed that I thought that God, I related to God as some kind of paramedic in the sky. That, look, God's not the God of the everyday stuff. I'll take care of that. I know how to live happily and a a fulfilling life by myself. I'll work that out. Thanks very much, God. But when things get out of hand, God's kind of like a paramedic. You You don't call him over for like, you know, for an afternoon tea or something like that. You don't talk to him in the everyday stuff of life. God is there for emergencies only. And when you really need him, that's when you call out. Your prayer will reveal what you really believe about God. But what about your prayer life? What does it show about what you believe about God? If you rarely pray, does it show a functional atheism? Do you kind of believe that honestly we're pretty much on our own, but every now and then maybe I'll need some help from on high? That God is basically an absentee father who's left you to work out life on your own and who's really not there to offer any particular help day to day? Do you pray for things like a beggar before an unsympathetic king, apologizing and groveling as though he's already been put out by your many previous requests and can't believe you're bringing another thing to his desk? Do you demand like a spoiled child and throw tantrums as though God is a weak parent who can be worn down? Do you never pray like the child who's left home and made their own way in the world, only turning back to dad when there are moments where you're kind of out of resources? Our prayers show our beliefs. And my prayer is that our beliefs would show that we know that God is near, that he loves us, and more than that, that he loves to answer prayer. That it's God's delight as our heavenly father to have his children request of him and for him to provide And so I'm going to pray that as we dive into John 15, that we'd see exactly that. That God is calling us to ask of him, and he delights to answer our prayers. Let's pray. God, we so often are given to misunderstandings of you, that our prayerlessness often betrays that we believe things about you that go against Scripture, against what you have said about yourself. And so often we have right beliefs that cohabit alongside wrong beliefs. And so we just pray that you would cleanse our hearts today. That we would see you as you are, as you have revealed yourself in your word. And delight to be children who request of their heavenly father, knowing that you delight to answer. And that we would see what your design is for prayer. That we might see prayers answered knowing that it is the privilege of the children of God to have their prayers heard and answered. We pray this for the sake of your name. Amen. Well, the center point of this passage, and the one that really should stand out to us when it comes to prayer, is John 15.7. In John 15.7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Is this essentially a carte blanche? God is just saying, ask for whatever you wish. You want something, you got it. God is a genie in the sky. Whatever you desire, he will satisfy that. 
But of course, I mean, your instinct, if you've been in a church context for any amount of time, is that of course that's not the case. But the question is why from this passage? And the real reason is there in front of us. There are two conditions that he puts on this before saying, pray whatever you wish. And the first one is explained in verses 1 to 6. Look at what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. And dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So, what does all of this mean? He's saying, if you can be a branch that is in Jesus and then cast off, does that mean you can be a genuine follower of Jesus and then not be? That you can be genuinely in Christ and then later genuinely out of Christ or cast off? We need to ask this question carefully because it matters. It matters for how you understand your salvation, where you stand before God, what it means to be a Christian, whether or not you believe that one, those who believe in Jesus persevere in the faith. And I want to say that it's clear from the Gospel of John that if you are authentically saved, you will never be unsaved. It's a clear teaching in the Gospel of John maybe even more so than the other Gospels, which is helpful as we approach this text. In John 6, 37 and 39, Jesus says, In no uncertain terms, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. There are no gaps. There are no missed ones. There are none who kind of just missed the boat by a second. All who the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I mean, those are the most comprehensive terms you can use, right? All, will, and never. And he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. In other words, Jesus' people will come to him and he will hold on to him. That is the Father's will and the Son will not refuse to do it. All who come to him will be saved. But it's, it comes up again and again in the Gospel of John. In 17.6 it says, Yours they were and you gave them to me. And they come, all of them. All that the Father gives me will come to me, John 6.37. And he says he will never cast them out. He will lose nothing that the Father has given him. In 10.27 it says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's how they know they are sheep because they listen to Jesus' voice and they follow him. In John 10.28 he says, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is laying out in no uncertain terms that his people are his and will remain his forever. So, why is this passage talking about some who are branches and then later not branches? He's talking about another theme in the Gospel of John, about believers who are not true believers. 
There is a branch that is in him and then lost, one that does not bear fruit and then is cast out. There are disciples who are not true disciples, as it says in 666. There is the chosen 12, but one of them, we are told, is a devil, Judas, in 670. And Jesus knew it from the beginning, even when he chose his disciples. And in the same way, there are branches who are not true branches. They are not truly in Jesus. They are a part of and near and around the true people of God and yet do not truly know him. Judas really in, this, in the whole of, of the Gospel of John is probably the clearest example. Someone who in every way looked as though he was as close to Jesus as you could possibly be. A part of the twelve who saw all of Jesus' life and teaching and ministry, who saw his miracles, who presumably was a part of performing miracles, who was in that group who was sent out to do these things on Jesus' behalf. And yet, in the end, was not one of them. See, the truth is, in, in, in the Gospel of John, we are told that those who are of Christ are born again. That God has saved them. And that the true disciples are the ones who bear fruit. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And here Jesus explains to us the causal link. He doesn't say, if you bear much fruit, you'll be my disciples. But he says, because you are my disciples, you will bear fruit. You can think of it in this way. As I, get, as I get older, and you can put this to the test, I look more and more like my dad. When I was younger, I thought there was a chance that our paths had diverged. But as I get older, even in personality, but also in look, we, we appear more and more like one another. And the causal link does not go that as I look more like my dad, I become more his son. But rather, because I am his son, of course, eventually, I start to look more and more like my dad. That's the link. Jesus here is saying not, if you bear fruit, God will see your fruit as an offering and then accept you into his kingdom. But rather, because God has saved you, you will bear fruit. Because you have a new heart, because you have been changed, because something supernatural has happened to you, there will be a natural result and you'll start to bear the resemblance of your heavenly Father. So this is the first condition for answered prayer is that you must be a true follower of Jesus. God has not promised to answer the prayers of those who do not know him and do not honor him as God. But he's promised to hear the prayers of his children his true disciples. So then the question must be rattling around in your head. Well, I think I'm a true disciple, but I'm pretty sure I've had prayers go unanswered. So what's happening there? Is that evidence that maybe I'm not? But there's a second condition he gives here. I don't know if you saw it as we walked through it. He says, if my words abide in you. This is the second condition. That is, a follower of Jesus who knows Jesus and follows him is one who listens to him and his word abides in him. John 10, 27 is, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Part of being a follower of Jesus is that you hear your shepherd's voice and you obey. You know, this is my shepherd. This is the one who knows me, who knows my soul, who formed me. And it's my delight to follow him, to do what he says. For his word to bear fruit in my life as I obey him imperfectly at times, but my heart is to do what Jesus says because he is good and he alone is worthy. 
Now, why is this significant? It's significant because this will explain the kind of prayers that God answers. See, as His Word does a work in you and changes your heart and changes your deepest desires and affections, what you want and desire starts to come into line with the will of God. As God's Word takes root in our heart and changes the things that we desire most deeply, what we pray and what issues out of our deepest desires comes into line with what God's will is for our life. Because it is possible to pray prayers that are not in line with God's will. In James, he calls these adulterous prayers. In James 4, 3-4, it says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God here is described as refusing to answer prayers that would make him complicit in your sin. There are some prayers that are simply wrong, that are actually a desire for something that is set up to worship instead of God. Adulterous prayers, James calls them. It's a sinful prayer when we desire something that actually is, is counter to the worship of God. We pray for something and really it's our idol that we want rather than God. And of course, God cannot answer that prayer. Even think of it in this way. He cannot answer that prayer any more than a police officer could answer the request that you help them to rob a jewelry store. I don't know why 7-Eleven or something like that. Jewelry store is a little bit 60s or something, isn't it? I don't know. Does that happen anymore? But if you were to say to a police officer, I'm... I'm I'm planning to hold up this 7-Eleven, but I've, I missed the bus because I, I didn't have my phone on me. I don't have the timetable. Could you give me a lift there? I mean, it, it would be the most insane proposal to, to put out there because, of course, someone in that position, I mean, more than anyone else, cannot be aiding and abetting a crime. And in the same way, there are some prayers that God must say no to if he really is to be God. If, you're, if the ultimate desire of your prayer is God... I want this idol. I want this thing that is actually not good for me and I want to worship it. God cannot at the same time be God and honor that prayer. There are some prayers that go answered because they're adulterous. Jesus here is saying, as my word abides in you and changes you in your deepest desires, what you pray for comes into line with the word of God and his will for our lives. It's like Luther famously said, love God and do what you want. Really kind of expressing the same sentiment of Psalm 37.1 when it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, which is the delight in the Lord. And you see how it goes round and round. So this is the true nature of prayer. That God answers the prayers of his children, those who are truly saved. And those whose desires have been shaped by his word, as his word abides in us, we pray prayers that honor, that honor him and he answers them. And so in applying this, there are a couple of things that need to affect the way that we pray. And the first is this, that we should pray the word of God. It means listening to God through his word and praying and seeing that these are intimately connected. And really it means for prayer not praying things that you could not find in Scripture. I remember years ago, 
being in a party and being, you know, whenever you're at a sit-down dinner, it's, um, you're there for the whole night. There is no way to move. And so whoever you're with, that's your conversation for the evening. And I remember being sat down next to a guy who honestly could have had a great conversation even if I wasn't there because he mostly just talked about himself for a full two hours. And the evidence of it was that at the end, having said what a great conversation it was, he asked me my name. That was the, end. That was the last part of the conversation right at the end of the night. Now, I get very concerned when I hear people say, yeah, I, I'm not really reading the word, but my prayer life is great. Because in Scripture, those two are intimately connected. If you are not in any way listening to God, but you're praying and praying and praying, there is every chance that those prayers are becoming more and more about your own will than the will of God. Tim Keller puts it more eloquently when he says it this way, we would never produce the full range of biblical prayer if we were initiating prayer according to our own inner needs and psychology. Do you catch that? We would never, would never express the full range of biblical prayer if it was all just based on my inner needs and psychology. It can only be produced if we are responding in prayer according to who God is as revealed in Scripture. Some prayers in the Bible are like an intimate conversation with a friend. Others are like an appeal to a great monarch and others approximate a wrestling match. We must not decide how to pray based on what types of prayer are the most effective for producing the experiences and feelings that we want. We pray in response to God himself. We don't want to be like the person at the dinner conversation who is talking but has no interest in knowing about the other person. But to be people who know God intimately and our prayers are saturated in His Word and in a deep understanding of who He is. And when that happens, our prayer life is far more rich and vast, isn't it? Even this morning, praying through those laments, that's part of biblical prayer. That's not the thing that's necessarily most instinctive to us. As we open the Word of God, we are taught to pray. As God's Word abides in us, we make requests of Him and He delights to answer. And so make it a rule that if there is something you are deeply asking of God in Scripture, or deeply asking of God in prayer, that you would know carefully where from Scripture you might depend on the promise of God. That it would be a clear evidence that you know that this is something that God has actually promised and that is good and these people are to seek. That if there's something that you're praying for, you'd actually even write down the verse connected to it, that you might be praying the Word of God. His word might be abiding in us and that we'd be praying for that and he would be glorified in answering it. And secondly, I'd encourage you over this year, the rest of this year, to track your prayers. Everyone remembers that, that trick that you could play on a young... I didn't know because I didn't have a younger brother or sister, but that you could play on your younger brother or sister or cousin or whatever it was when you were arguing about something and you couldn't resolve it, and you're like, let's flip a coin, heads I win, tails you lose. And if they were naive enough, they wouldn't realize that, of course, it was a fait accompli, that there was no way for them to win that. But oftentimes, when it comes to prayer, we can be a little bit heads I win, tails you lose. That is, when we pray for things and God answers, we just forget about it and carry on because we've got what we want. But when he doesn't, we get in the face of God. And we think, oh, why is it that you won't do this? And then eventually, maybe he does answer it, and then we move on like nothing happened. 
Maybe that we would track our prayers, that it might be evidence of answered prayer, which again then builds your assurance, knowing I'm a child of God. God really answers my prayers. He hears my prayers and answers them. Because the devil would want you to forget about that so that you might forget the assurance that God is actually working in your life. We're just not paying attention. But also that we might see that God has a track record of faithfulness and goodness. So that's the second one, to track our prayers. And the third is to remain steadfast. We are not a culture that will be remembered for the words steadfastness and perseverance. Things might change in the next decade or two, but so far that will probably not be the banner over our time. But as the people of God, we are called to persevere and in prayer. And there is no guarantee that God will answer even good word-soaked prayers in our timing. And why? Because we do operate on different time frames. Yeah, let me just draw on the wisdom of Tim Keller here when he says, Our time frames are not in touch with ultimate reality. Our perspective on timing compared with God's is analogous to a two-year-old's with an adult's. God has good reasons for making us wait a long time to see some prayers answered. It's true. If, you, if we can understand, I mean, if you've ever tried to explain patience or time to a two-year-old, it's impossible. They live in the eternal now. And if you say to them, wait five minutes, they will wait five seconds before they ask you again. And they will pepper and harass and keep going because they just, they just don't have a concept of time. The, the, the way they are built, neurologically, they're not able to get a handle on the fact that 20 minutes is that's quite a long time. And if you would expand that out from us to God, I mean, it says it in Scripture. A day for him is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. What seems like eternity for us in perspective is really a short while. And God has good reasons at times for having us wait to answer prayers, to persevere in prayer, that it might shape and change us, but also that it might be according to His good will. Again, Keller says, We know that God will answer us when we call because one terrible day He did not answer Jesus when, we called, when He called. Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that he merits. God loves you and answers your prayers because Jesus was abandoned to death on the cross. That prayer is a blood-bought privilege that we get to be able to ask of our God and that he would delight to answer. So may our prayers be word-soaked. May we track our prayers and may we remain steadfast in them. And so for this reason, I thought, I thought it would be fitting for our final section here to actually spend the last part of our time together in prayer before we praise God right at the end. And I want to pray for just three things for our church going forward for the rest of, of 2021. In case you hadn't heard about it, next week we're heading to the high school. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. This is the first time we've done this in City Lights history for a couple of weeks to head off-site, to gather as a church, and to pray and think about down the line whether this might be something that God is drawing us towards as a long-term solution. And so it needs to be soaked in prayer. And we need to remember why we're doing it. And the, the central reason is this. We're doing it to see lost people saved. We exist as the church to reach the lost 
And oftentimes, I think, in, particularly in our context, because of the culture war that's going on, it seems like, look, the church is just moving to the peripheries of culture. We're right against the ropes. But the truth is, this has happened so many times in church history, it's ridiculous. And the gospel is still going out all over the world. In our corner of the woods, it might seem like it's retreating, but in areas across the globe, it is expanding and rapidly. And just think about this. At the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, 28, this is how the book finishes. Paul is saying to a group of people, after having been rejected, that a group of people had heard what he had to say about Jesus and said, thanks, but no thanks. And then Paul says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. That's us, by the way. Unless you're, you're Jewish yourself, that's us, Gentiles. But God has sent his salvation, his salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. People will hear and respond to the gospel. People will get saved even this year. Do we believe it? And do we pray as though we believe it? That's the first thing that we're going to pray for in groups, from the word of God. God, you say that your salvation is going out and people will listen. May we see it this year. So pray about that as you think about inviting people along to hear the gospel over this next while. As we kick off introducing Jesus later in the year, that people will hear, will listen, and will obey Jesus and find forgiveness. So pray for that. The second one is to pray for generosity. That as we do this, it will cost. And after a year of COVID, it's, it's difficult financially. And we will need to, as we said during the stewardship one, consider our giving the last couple of months, we've been under our current budget without JobKeeper. And so we need to be thinking about our giving and, and finances going forward. But to pray according to God's word that he would give us the grace to be generous. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to 8. It says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is the crux. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, just in case you missed it, the all, 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 you will abound in every good work. Let's pray that a mark of our church will be generosity as we go forward. And then lastly, to pray for maturity and unity, because this is Jesus' vision for his church. That as his church, as we go out to reach the lost, that as a church, we would be growing deeper in our love for one another and for Christ Look what it says in Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to break into groups. We're going to pray for the lost. They would hear the gospel and believe and be saved. To pray for generosity and to pray for maturity and unity as a church. And as we do that, Jacob's going to bring around some of the flyers that you can hold on to and even pray over that as you think about people to invite. God might be working through that. And then after that, we're going to come back together and praise God for our final part of this weekend. Sounds good? Let's do it.